I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Hi, I'm Harry Lippman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Feds favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond, plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Zola. Zola is reinventing the wedding registry and planning process to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com ag. And thanks to Noom for supporting Muller She Wrote. It's not too late to kick off your year right. Stay on track to meet your New Year's resolutions and meet your goals with Noom.com. Noom is designed for results. Meet your resolutions by signing up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M, dot com slash A-G. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash A-G to start your trial today. Again, that's Noom.com slash A-G. Start losing weight for good. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G. With me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. Oh my God, you guys, this week was insane. Um, I think we can stop saying that now, though. We haven't had a non-insane week since we started this podcast just like over a year ago. It's true. But I keep being surprised, and I suppose that's good. Uh, it means I haven't normalized this shit show. But uh, welcome to our hundreds of new patrons. Um, to let you know, I go by AG because I work for Trump's executive branch. I've been there since the days of Obama. Uh, And we took the executive oath of office at the same time, actually the same day. But Trump is purging non-loyalists, so I go by AG. He's even used his office of general counsel to file a FOIA request for my employee records. So what I'm trying to do is not violate the Hatch Act by using my name or my agency um, or my title to campaign against or for any political party or person. That's why I use the pseudonym and why I can appear in public. So I just want to get 
let all our new patrons know that, although you probably already have been listening. It's um, really about not using my name and agency. Anyway, um, as of this recording, we are now in the middle of the longest government shutdown in the history of the country. Hundreds of thousands of men and women, uh, many of whom are veterans, are not being paid. We don't have TSA at full force because they're calling in six so that they can work privately elsewhere, so they can get money to feed their families, pay their rent. The FDA has stopped inspecting food. They're trying to get emergency FDA workers in to look at, like, you That's know, weird. critical stuff like cheese and seafood. Is it still going through even though it's not being inspected or is it just like, oh, that's not good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still going through. Um, this is far more of a humanitarian crisis than anything at the southern border that the president's trying to create. Uh, and it's being perpetuated on our own citizens uh, and not just ordinary citizens, but public servants, those who keep us safe, people who have dedicated their lives to asking not what their country can do for them, but what they can do for their country. Right. So I just wanted to um, extend my heartfelt um, concern and apologies to to those federal workers, 820,000 of them, 30 percent of which are veterans or more that are receiving zero dollars yesterday in their paycheck. Um, I'm so sorry, and I wish there was something I could do. It's awful. Um, today, Jordan, what are you going over in your hot note? All right, so this week I'm going to cover something I covered a little bit in December. Remember when we talked about that media organization that was basically buying ads on behalf of both Trump and the NRA? Yeah. Well, there's an update to that story. All right, cool. And Jaleesa, what do you have? Something about uh, Wall Street Journal report, right? Yeah, basically we're learning that the uh, Trump org is hiring their own lawyer, to pretty much combat all these Democratic congressional investigations and everyone's lawyering up. That's the news. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of lawyers going around this week. Um, I'm going to be talking about this crazy New York Times report uh, about the FBI investigating um, Trump a couple days prior to Comey's being fired. So interesting, interesting things. Uh, We do have some amazing guests today. The host of Deep State Radio, David Rothkopf, will be with us. And I got to talk to the CEO of Hermitage Capital, the head of the global Magnitsky Justice Campaign. Putin enemy number one, Bill Browder. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. If you haven't yet, go listen to episode two of Mueller, She Wrote. It's all about the Magnitsky Act. It'll be a good primer to the conversation we're about to have with the guy who helped write the Magnitsky Act. Please mind the sound quality in episode two. <laughs> um, we have some corrections from last week. In the ongoing saga of how to pronounce Herman German Khan's name, I'm now being told by the Russian friend that it's a Harji German Khan uh, <laughs> this is the father-in-law of Vanderswan, German Khan, Vanderswan. Um, Vanderswan's the first guy to go to jail and be deported in the Mueller probe. Uh, so there, German Khan. I'm just going to call him Khan from now on. Really, yeah, it's the, the safest whole, way to go. The whole German, German, Herman <laughs> situation. Uh, I also said Montenegro was a Baltic state, not a Balkan. It's Balkan. And I know that. And I always confuse those two things. And I, I always mix them up. Sorry about that. Good looking out. Um, Also, I thought a bad conduct discharge was worse than a dishonorable discharge, but it's the other way around. Um, Dishonorable discharges are for, like, murder and rape and shit like that. Wow. Uh, And to the women who bristle when I call myself old because I'm 44, (laughs) I know it's not old, but my feelings about myself are not a referendum on you. I'm very aware that 44 (laughs) is not old, although it's relative, right? I thought I wasn't going to make it past 30, so... Uh, And I do understand we're trying to smash the patriarchy here, and that includes not feeling old when we're not. But as a woman, uh, I like to declare how I feel when I want to declare it. And in no way do I imply that my feelings apply to you. Sometimes I feel that way. I know that you guys in your 20s, sometimes you're like, I'm so old. You know, that is in no way saying that people who are our age or older or younger are old. 
you know, that's I'm, this isn't on you. It's on me. Yeah. Uh, it's more a reflection of my experience with time, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal to everyone I've that lived, shares the same number as me. I've lived a thousand lifetimes in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Make it stop. I'm sure we all have, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's days we feel really young, and there's days we feel really, feel really old. So, And also, I'm a comedian, and these are jokes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I didn't talk about perimenopause, what would I talk about? Good point, yeah. Um, Muller? <laughs> There's no content what? there. Let's start a whole new podcast <laughs> called Are You There, God? It's Me, Menopause. And it's going to be me talking about how old I am all the time. Uh, no, uh, another thing. At the end of the last episode, we were pointing, at, pointing out that the chief of staff at the Pentagon, Sweeney, quit because Mattis quit. But we learned the day after we recorded that that he was actually forced out. So keep your eye on Trump purging all non-loyalists, including me. Please don't fire me. Uh, it's been happening for a while. Um, All right, we have a ton of news to get to, so let's jump in with just the facts. Okay, on Monday, we got an update on the Concord Management subpoena battle in the Mueller investigation. Concord Management is, uh, sorry, Concord Management and Catering um, is a Russian company headed up by Prigozhin, that's Putin's chef. They pleaded not guilty to charges filed by the Mueller investigation, Mueller probe, last year in the social media case against Russian meddling. They're fighting Mueller in court, and in a hearing uh, in that case this week, the judge took issue. Dabney Friedrich, Friedrich. found out that's a woman. Um, yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, me neither. My bad. Sorry, lady. <laughs> lady judge. Um, she took issue with the character and nature of the defense attorney's filings. Tell, basically said, knock it off. Mm-hmm. Cut it out. <laughs> so, Jordan, you covered some of the colorful language and references in our midweek episode. We mm-hmm. have midweek episodes now. They're for patrons. So if you're not a patron, get on it. You can get on it. You can get that second episode plus all the other shit you get for being a patron for as little as three bucks. So go sign up. Patreon.com slash Miller. She wrote. It's a good deal. Um, but you you did. You covered some of that colorful language mm-hmm. uh, and uh, cartoon references. What were some of the things that Concord Management's lawyer, Dubelier, um, <laughs> has written in yeah. his court filings? Yeah. Someone said it is pronounced French, by the way. I nice. Think. Yeah. So nice. we know now. Yeah. Uh, he said that prosecutors of the special counsel office live in, quote, fairyland. <laughs> nice. Yes. And then he also made a reference. Uh, he said... In these words, with no context, which I am aware of, uh, I taught I taught I taught I taught a putty tat. <laughs> Reminds you of your, me of your titties joke. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yours is more sophisticated, though. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And didn't he also uh, say fuck in his like he put the f bomb in his uh, filing? Completely just unbridled. Yeah. Idiocy. Yeah, and some of the stuff he's saying. Yeah, and the judge is like, "This is embarrassing and unprofessional." And then he called it a fake laws. <laughs> yeah, and that that's worse than fake news. Yep, yeah. he did say that. And he called the judge biased, which pissed her off. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know. It's just weird. Um, I, that court filing. Yeah, she was pissed. She was like, "Not cut it out." Oh man. yeah, you got to stop. This is unprofessional. And then he accused her of being biased, mm-hmm. and he's gonna have to talk to his client about whether or not he wants to represent them anymore because the judge hates him. She's like, get the fuck out. Yeah, they might like- be on drugs. <laughs> Seriously, like Maybe. Adderall or something. They're all just like on the hard stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're starting to like conflate Twitter with the courts. Yeah. Just it's writing like, how they would normally. It's like idiocracy. Yeah. Right? Where, you know, ow, my balls. That's part of a court filing now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't speak in 
metaphors and pop culture metaphors to me. What the fuck? There's a whole reason you went to law school and so did I. So respect that shit. <laughs> That's what Mueller she wrote is for. <laughs> exactly. We speak in pop culture references yes. and say fuck. And assholes and dicks and all those things. Because <laughs> that's what we have to relate to. Sometimes assholes fuck dicks. <laughs> um, sorry, Team America World Police reference. Oh, nice. See, pop culture. Oh, But I'm go. not a lawyer. Yeah. Um, and then Tuesday, Eric Prince told CNBC he'd rather have a proctology exam than another interview with Mueller. Um, I made a joke about setting up a back channel that I really enjoyed. <laughs> Julissa, you reported on this midweek. Uh, yes. Eric Prince, who's Betsy DeVos's brother and the head of the now defunct Blackwater private security firm, uh, is the guy that's uh, is he's the guy who repped Trump in a, a meeting in the Seychelles with Nader and Dmitriev, right? Mm-hmm. I just went there and there was a Russian guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure he'll be indicted soon, so put some beans on that. Maybe you guys want to pick him in the fantasy indictment draft this week. Good point, um, yeah. I did I did want to mention we got a message from a listener reminding us that being questioned by law enforcement is scary, and I wanted to assure that person I'm not talking about interviews of the 99%. I'm talking about white-collar, privileged, privileged, privileged criminals like Prince, uh, who were, oh, it's like having fingers in my butthole. Yeah. And <laughs> you're like, dude, if you're innocent, just, it's fine. Um, but I, you know, well pointed out that, that that's not true for the rest of the regular folks in this country who, who are oftentimes, you know, interrogated using sneaky tactics and the prisoner's conundrum or whatever it's called. The, what's that called? Uh, prisoner's dilemma? Yeah, prisoner's dilemma conundrum. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> the captee's conundrum, as, as AG <laughs> refers to it, because I'm weird. I think uh, Montenegro is Baltic, so <clears throat> there we go. Uh, anyway, I just, yeah, I'm not talking about those folks. Um, there's no reason for these white-collar guys to feel uncomfortable unless they're guilty AF. Mm-hmm. But good looking out. Uh, and this week in Republicans Can't Tech. <laughs> I'm going to record something for that. <laughs> so so Manafort's defense filed their response to Mueller's breach of plea filing that outlined the five things Manafort lied about during his cooperation with special counsel. The problem is that they electronically redacted the document, throwing up black boxes over the text, leaving the actual text under the black boxes so we could all just copy and paste and read the text underneath. And in those redacted pieces, we found out that Manafort did meet with Kalimnik um, twice, and provi- at least, and provided him with proprietary campaign polling data and told him about the Ukraine peace deal, which was just a GOP scam to lift sanctions on Russia. And in related news, we learned Thursday that Mueller's team has questioned the Trump campaign pollster Tony Fabrizio. Tony Fabrizio. <laughs> Almost a year ago, according to some CNN journalist who spotted him coming out of Mueller's office last year. And they didn't bother to tell us about this a year ago. They're just now bringing it up because we found out that Manafort gave polling data to the Kremlin. So CNN decided to dust off this old gem. Interesting. That's irresponsible reporting. I'm frankly shocked they didn't follow up on that lead when it happened. I mean, the pollster for the Trump campaign was being questioned by Mueller, the guy investigating Russian election interference. And they were just like, meh. I mean, maybe because there's just so many. <laughs> it's hard to keep up. Yeah. Too many to report. Yeah. I mean, if you're not familiar, polling data is like gold and uh, campaigns hire teams of people to protect it. And get this, before Trump hired Fabrizio to be his pollster, Fabrizio worked in the Ukraine with Manafort. Um, one thing we know for sure, Manafort is fucked. 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 There, you got both. Perfect. 
Also Tuesday, Veselnitskaya was indicted in a civil matter separate from the Mueller probe, and we'll go over that later in the interview with Bill Browder. But is it really separate? We'll find out. (laughs) Uh, Finally Tuesday, the Supreme Court weighed in on the secret subpoena battle between Mueller and the mystery company from Country A. Um, Basically, a person or a company was appealing a Mueller subpoena for documents under the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, right? And this person or company was saying, Mueller doesn't have jurisdiction and we should be immune from subpoena because we're foreign. (laughs) That'd be quite the easy loophole. Right. And Tuesday of this week, SCOTUS said in a brief order, quote, the application for stay presented to the chief justice and by him referred to the court is denied. The administrative stay previously entered by the chief justice is vacated. So basically, SCOTUS vacated their stay of contempt um, from just over a week ago that we reported. So the company now has to go back to paying $50,000 per day until they, you know, give them the documents, hand them over. Um, The way I read this is that SCOTUS is not refusing to hear the case. They're just vacating the stay of contempt, though the decision is indicative of agreement with lower courts. I do not know if SCOTUS will take up the case based on the merits appeal by the uh, company or not. That's still not been decided. Um, But that wasn't all we got Tuesday. Do you guys remember December 14th when the court building was all shut down and fifth floor was sealed and all the reporters were shooed away? Yeah, yeah. Um, We also got that opinion. We got that opinion from the court. And in it were a few more clues about who the company is from Country Mm -hmm. A. The first big clue is that uh, the state-owned foreign entity has a U.S. office and they were served a subpoena at that office. And we also learned uh, in the opinion that this foreign-owned entity does significant business at that U.S. office where they were served the subpoena. Now, before the 28-page unsealed appellate court decision, I was wavering back and forth between the company being VTB, that's the sanctioned Russian bank that was going to fund Trump Tower Moscow, and that was buying back Deripaska aluminum shares, so we'd lift sanctions on him. Right. So I was going back between VTB and QIA, the Qatari Investment Authority. Um, VTB is sanctioned, and thereby I don't think they qualify um, as having a U.S. office that does significant business in the United States because they're sanctioned. Um, The Qatar Investment Authority does have an office in the United States. It's at 9 West 57th Street in New York, And in 2014, they had planned to invest $35 billion in the U.S. over five years, which sounds like significant business. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of uh, of money. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Then CNN came out and said that they know that two guys named Kang and Boone from a law firm called Alston and Bird are working on the secret subpoena battle on behalf of country A. And and they also, CNN mentioned that these guys have also worked with Russians and Deripaska and Manafort. Well, I found out with a little bit of research that they've also repped Glencore, who is the Anglo-Swiss multinational trading and mining company that managed the sale of Rosneft to Qatar. Hmm. Um, and Qatar bought 18.93% of Rosneft, and there was a, fi- a 0.5% commission paid to an unknown party, though the dossier by Chris Steele says that that party is Trump. Um, It's important to note that the owner of Rosneft was Igor Sechin, who Carter Page apparently met with on one of his trips to Moscow, though he denies it. So QIA, it's foreign-owned with an office in the U.S. that does considerable business in the U.S. from that office and is not currently sanctioned. They did the Rosneft deal with Russia and Glencore. Glencore has been represented by Alston and Byrd, who CNN says is part of the subpoena battle. QIA and Al-Rumahi met with Cohen and Flynn in Trump Tower in December 2016. We have photos of that. And then he bragged about bribing transition administration officials in a court filing a year later. 
There's been an additional filing on Cohen that happened the week before Christmas that's under seal in a vault in Manhattan. And one of the lawyers on the Mueller team working the case, Zainab Ahmad, is a Middle Eastern expert that speaks Arabic and worked on the Flynn case. And as we know, Flynn was at that Trump Tower meeting with the guy from QIA. So I'm switching my pick back to QIA. Yeah, that's solid. I I can't even. For now. Yeah. (laughs) Can we all just have QIA? (laughs) Yeah, sure. I can't imagine. Because I was with Rosneft for a while, but that was just to be unique. Yeah, before it was VTB. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, QIA is involved with Rosneft because of the Glencore sale. Right, which is such an interesting connection there. So, I mean, I guess it is still kind of Rosneft, but definitely the QIA connection is so direct. Mm -hmm. It's pretty it's a pretty good argument, yeah. but I could be completely wrong. So Yeah, and this will be old news to our patrons because we talked about this in our midweek episode. Hey, mm-hmm. another thing for midweek episodes. <laughs> then Wednesday happened, and it was a shit show. First, Rep Spire says, Junior, Don Jr. will be the first person to be served with a subpoena to testify in front of the House Intelligence Committee when it reopens the Russia probe, um, which was prematurely shuttered by Nunes and House Republicans, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to reopen that. Junior's going to be the first one. God, how nice is it Nunes is not here anymore? Well, I mean, not in that capacity. Right, not in charge. And in a related story, Matthew fucking Whitaker has been asked to testify before the House Judiciary before January 29th to answer questions about recusing himself from the Mueller probe oversight, according to Bloomberg News. This is in the wake of another story that broke Wednesday about Snoop Dagg, Rod Rosenstein, leaving the DOJ once a new attorney general is appointed. A source close to Snoop Dagg says he wants to stay until Mueller is done and expects a report in early March. Uh, We heard from NBC sources that the report would be out late February, but this seems so soon to me. Um, Considering Mueller is still fighting the Andrew Miller piece, uh, Concord management, he's trying to get documents from Country A. Uh, He hasn't even gotten those yet. They're just being charged 50 grand until they put up or shut up. Uh, But who knows? Um, Maybe it's done. Uh, And with this new New York Times reporting I'm going to go over in Hot Notes, we have some new ways of thinking about this. So stick around for that. The Washington Post put out a report Wednesday saying that Trump's legal team has hired 17 lawyers this week to battle the Mueller probe because that's totally how innocent people act. Uh, And they also reported that their number one defense is going to be executive privilege, which we reported last week, of course. And that should be fun to watch them try to make that stick. And joining us today to discuss Trump's legal defense is the CEO of the Rothkopf Group, author of a book coming out later this year called Traitor, the Case Against Donald J. Trump. And he's the host of Deep State Radio, David Rothkopf. David, welcome to Mueller, she wrote. Great to be here. So to start off, what do you make of Trump's legal team's decision to hire 17 new lawyers this week? Well, they haven't hired any good ones yet, so they might as well keep trying. Uh, that said, I'm, I'm not really sure, um, you know, whether numbers are the solution um, when the cases that are being made against him um, are so uh, diverse and and compelling. I, I do note, however, uh, that there are currently, uh, at least the last time I saw it counted, 17 investigations against Trump ongoing. And as it happens, he hired 17 lawyers. So maybe at least they can count. Maybe he's just got one for each defense, one for each, one for exactly. each uh, investigation. Right. Um, so it seems Trump's defense is going to be about executive privilege. So how do you respond to that? And do you think that that runs parallel to his potential declaration of emergency powers we keep hearing about this week in relation to his wall? 
Well, first of all, the source, at least I've seen for his defense being executive privilege, was Rudy Giuliani, who has to be the least reliable source that one can imagine on any matter, uh, but particularly on issues pertaining to his client, because he doesn't seem to understand the law, the role of lawyers, um, uh, the nature of the risks that his client faces, or how to conduct a public defense. Um, having said that, uh, you know, this is just one of his many kinds of assertions, the executive privilege assertion being that there are elements of the Mueller report that shouldn't be allowed public, uh, and, and so forth. So, you know, I guess it's, you know, if you can't live with the report being written, then let's try to quash the report. Uh, there seems to be, based on what I've read, very, very little grounds for uh, the argument that the report shouldn't be released. Uh, and of course, with the Democrats controlling the House, uh, you can rest assured that it will be one way or another. Uh, when I was in the government, one of the things that we found uh, was most frequently the case was that if you wanted some bit of classified or tightly held information to instantly be public, you know, the way to do it was to give it to a congressman. And, uh, and you know, things, things have a way from there. So I don't think that's a defense. Uh, I, I don't think they really know what their defense is going to be. My guess, based on what they've said thus far, is that they're going to uh, attempt to use every tool available to them and a bunch of tools that aren't actually available to them to impede the investigation, to suppress the results, uh, to to uh, you know fight assertions, to attack accusers. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of like you know you know throw you know it's kind of like throwing uh, the kitchen sink at, at people. Now, having said that, you know Giuliani's assertion of executive privilege is consistent with the president's kind of king-like view of the powers of the presidency. And we see this in a number of other areas, most notably recently his you know, assertion that he can, if the Congress isn't going to give him his wall, he can get his wall simply by declaring an emergency, even though there's no evidence to suggest that there is an emergency at our border. Quite the contrary, conditions at our border are at the best that they've been for decades. Uh, but but he'll declare an emergency and then he'll order the Army Corps of Engineers to go in and build the wall with or without the Congress, uh, with or without the allocated funding. Uh, that, of course, is a, an assault on the Constitution, um, much as, uh, you know, his desire to pack courts, to attack the FBI, to attack the CIA, to uh, eliminate uh, the, the involvement of whole agencies uh, in the decision-making process of the government uh, to change policy on a dime when he's talking to an international official. He, you know, right now, I would say the president is more important to more aspects of uh, decision-making in the United States government than ever before, simply because he's arrogated it all onto himself. And uh, needless to say, I think to some extent, the rationale behind that is he knows the walls are closing in. He knows this report is out there, that these 17 investigations are out there, and sooner or later, he's going to do whatever it takes to protect himself and arguably his family, although I'm not so sure you know, whether all of them are going to get protected by him.
Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's why it's so important that the Dems won the House uh, to put a check on this president, because uh, in your first point, they can just subpoena the Mueller report or Mueller himself, and that would be putting it in the hands of Congress. And they'll probably likely sue him if he tries to declare a national emergency anyway. So I'm hoping that those checks uh, and, and balances will win the day. Um and you know, also this week, Giuliani said that Trump will not answer any more questions from Mueller. And I was wondering if you thought, based on past event, uh, past events, if you think Mueller will subpoena Trump to at least answer questions about obstruction. Well, you know, I have no direct pipeline into Mueller. I think Mueller is one of the more remarkable stories in 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 modern American history, to the degree to which he has managed to conduct this very high level investigation while you know, remaining absolutely silent to the press, absolutely assiduous about there being no leaks, um, uh, really focusing on the work at hand and not getting involved in the inflammatory politics around this. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, 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 that also has the, the effect of not really giving an insight into to, to, to what he's likely to do next. Um, but my guess is that Whatever it is he's going to do next, the comments of Rudy Giuliani have nothing to do with it. You know, I think he's going to pursue it the way he thinks he's going to should pursue it. And you know, he's been challenged in the court courts a couple of times by people saying he didn't have the authority, and the court struck that down, or by this uh, super secret foreign company that you know felt that you know he he they couldn't impose fines on them for not cooperating and the supreme court said no nope, you know stuck with the, the lower court decision and let that go through so my sense is Mueller's going to do what Mueller thinks is appropriate to the investigation if that means he's got to subpoena trump he'll subpoena trump uh you know i i, I do think one of the things we've seen is he doesn't subpoena people unless he's already got the goods and so i would if I were Rudy Giuliani or if I were Donald Trump, I would say not being subpoenaed, uh, not providing answers is actually not going to help them because he's gathering the goods whether or not he speaks to Trump. I think, you know, they realize that Trump, who is a pathological liar, who literally, you know, is on television and said something like 212 times during the campaign, Mexico is going to pay for the wall. And and then says, you know, as he did uh, this week, um, uh, oh, I never said Mexico is going to pay for the. I mean, the guy, the guy is divorced from reality, and 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 you know, I, it's perfectly natural that his lawyers would not want him to testify under oath because it's not that he might lie; he seems incapable of telling the truth. Yeah, that's true. And I'm with you on on the subpoena thing. I, I don't think Mueller would have even floated the idea of a subpoena a year ago to Dowd if he didn't have the goods. And, you know, despite Snoop Dagg leaving, that's what we call Rosenstein, and Trump saying Thursday, you know, we'll see if he releases the Mueller report. I think we will get the findings one way or another. So uh, I'm I'm I've got some pretty good confidence in Mueller in that arena. Uh, before I let you go, can you tell my listeners where they can find your book and get access to uh, Deep State Radio? They can go to deepstateradionetwork.com, which is where all of our stuff is. We've got multiple podcasts, including Deep State Radio, Washington for Beautiful People, that is hosted by Emily Brandwin, uh, National Security Magazine. This week we did an interview with uh, General Mark Hurtling uh, and others coming soon. Uh, and uh, 
as far or you can go to your you know wherever your favorite podcasts are given away for free um and as far as the book the book's going to come out later uh, this year from St. Martin's Press um and uh, you know keep an eye out for it the best way to figure out exactly when it's coming out is to listen to Deep State Radio and I'll tell you Awesome. Everybody, CEO of the Rothkopf Group and host of Deep State Radio, David Rothkopf. Thanks again for joining us on Mueller, She Wrote. Thank you very much, and congratulations with your great podcast. And finally, Wednesday, the GOP senators say they've met extensively with Bill Barr, not Bill Burr. (laughs) Um, That would be funny, though. That's Trump's nominee for attorney general, and that he's told them he won't touch Mueller's probe. (laughs) 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 Sounds like another proctology situation. (laughs) Um, This promise comes from Barr, despite his 20-page submission to the Justice Department about how presidents can't obstruct justice. Uh, GOP senators are saying Barr has told them he's committed to letting Mueller finish. So he won't touch Mueller's probe until he finishes. (laughs) Okay. How many latent homosexual innuendos can Republicans make in one hour? (laughs) Um, The extra weird thing about this is that Barr has told Democrats he can't meet with them because of the government shutdown. Yet here he is doing butt stuff with Republicans. Yeah. Uh, His refusal to meet with the Dems is unprecedented and unacceptable. His confirmation hearings are next week. I'm going to be watching those closely. You should, too. And I hope they let him have it. And I hope they secure a promise from him that he'll keep his hands off Mueller's junk. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Um, we learned Thursday that Michael Cohen is going to testify publicly before Congress and everybody's losing their mind. I don't think he's going to tell us anything. We don't know. Get your popcorn. It's going to be like James Comey. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Except way uglier. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't look shame. Right. Well, it'll. I just have a thing for the Comey. ugly truth. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the truth will be uglier. Uh, he will appear before the House Oversight and Reform Committee February 7th. To give a full and credible account of the events that have transpired. Transpired. <laughs> That's Th- not wrong. Through, <laughs> transpired through his uh, work for Mr. Trump. Uh, quote, I look forward to having the privilege of being afforded the platform, Cohen told CNN. I hope someone asks him about his meeting with the head of the Cutter Investment Authority at Trump Tower with Michael Flynn. And if any of that Rosneft sale made its way to RNC coffers or the Trump inaugural. We already know Trump ordered him to make illegal hush money payments. That's old news. Let's get into what he's hiding from the Southern District of New York, right? Whatever it is, I'm sure it's fucking essential. (laughs) (laughs) So in case you're new, um, Essential Consultants is the name of the slush fund company that Cohen set up to accept all those payments from Russians and AT&T and Novartis, that drug company. And we've created a slogan um, for Essential Consultants. It's fucking essential. And you have to say it like that, too. Mm -hmm. Thursday, Mnuchin gave a briefing to Congress on why he's lifting sanctions on Deripaska, and I'll be chatting with Bill Browder about that later in the show. But basically, he didn't say why he was doing it, and he wouldn't answer any questions, and he was smarmy and squirmy, and <laughs> and everybody came out of that hearing like, this is the dumbest shit ever. So It's like they only answer questions when they're not asked them, and vice versa. It's so weird. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Like, Giuliani, well, word vomit shit out no one asked him about. If you asked him about something, nothing. You're not getting the answer. Over You're his crazy. dead body. <laughs> if I was questioning Mnuchin, I would just stand there and stare at him until he told me yeah. <laughs> shit. So, like, know? vent therapy questioning. <laughs> well, we promised him we'd lift sanctions and we need steel to build the wall. Yeah. <laughs> you should just give them, like, a pen and paper or something. Like, draw what's in your brain eventually. Yeah, like what a child. Mueller's strategy. Draw all the answers or something. Yeah. <laughs> Slide it across the table. Draw us a picture. Yeah. Oh, shit. Scribbles it out. <laughs> Fake drawing. 
Uh, late Thursday, the New York Times reported that prosecutors are examining at least a dozen Ukrainians that attended the Trump inaugural. That is not news to us. Uh, it shouldn't be news to you. And it's evident. Um, that's evident in the indictment of Sam Patton, right? That's the guy we've been talking about forever. Uh, well, since August. And he used a cutout to allow these Ukrainians to buy tickets to the inaugural and funneling that money from a, through a Cypress bank account from the Ukraine oligarchs into the Trump inaugural fund. And um, I'm sure these ticket sales make up a large part of the Trump inaugural fund. Uh, but to put out news that they're investigating these kind of things, um, we knew that. Right. But thanks. <laughs> um, Friday, we heard from Kaludi Rudy, who said <laughs> big ups to T-Pain um, for that. You, nickname. You called him that? Kaludi Rudy? Kaludi Rudy. <laughs> That's funny. Don't at me if you don't like T-Pain. I don't care. It's a funny nickname. Yeah. Um, it's like a playground insult for a 50-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, but you know it hurts their feelings. <laughs> Kaludi Rudy, who says the Trump team should be allowed to correct the final Mueller report. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they want to correct the Mueller report. You got, I have an idea. Let's have Manafort's lawyers redact it for us. Oh, that'd be yeah. great. <laughs> Then we can just yeah, copy okay and paste. That. Just copy and paste what's underneath. Be like, <laughs> yeah. sure, Rudy, have Manafort's lawyers take care of it. <laughs> I'm sure you guys would be great at redacting this report. Nice. You guys are so good at tech. Yeah. Wow. That's a bold ask. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, he's a former prosecutor. Would he ever let anyone? Uh, never mind. Just, whatever. They're just seeing if they can like bend space time itself at this point. Yeah, they're yeah. so yeah. creative with like the way that they try to get out of this. Like they'll do anything for each other. Yeah. It's kind of like the most bromantic relationship I've ever seen. It's that <laughs> toxic social homo homosociality that we yeah. were talking about with the Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they'll completely fuck over the entire country. Um, for each other. To impress each other. It's yeah. gross. Um, also Friday, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Trump org has hired lawyers to respond to Democrat investigations. And Julissa will have more on that for us in Hot Notes. And the new chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Rep. Elliot Engel, says he will start a new committee to investigate Trump's private meeting with Putin in Helsinki. And I'd put beans on them issuing a subpoena for that translator. Mm-hmm. And finally, crazy reporting came out from The New York Times uh, that the FBI opened an inquiry investigation into whether Trump was a Russian asset, as you might have heard. It's kind of been on the news, uh, and I'll cover that in Hot Notes. So that's the week's news. We'll be right back. Hey, Mother Junkies. Have you heard about Zola? They're totally reinventing the wedding registry and planning process so you can stop worrying about all the small stuff and focus on the big day. Over half a million couples have used Zola because it takes the stress out of planning. And it does that by offering everything you need in one place. You get a free wedding website you can set up. You get your wedding registry. You get awesome and affordable save the dates and invitations, as well as honeymoon or down payment, like house down payment funds. The registry is incredible, you guys. It has over 500 top brands like Cuisinart and Sonos and Airbnb. But the best part is they give you 20% off the stuff that is left in your registry after it closes, which is a really, really great deal. I've never seen a discount that high. The free wedding website is great, too. They have over 100 designs an FAQ section you can set up as well. It's just so amazing you can get everything you need to plan your wedding all in one place because we used to have to piecemeal it. And this is so much more convenient. It saves you time, money, and most importantly, stress. That and the ease of the service is what really stood out to me. So start off your free wedding website and get $50 off your registry today by going to Zola.com slash AG. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash AG to start your free wedding website and to get 50% off your registry today. You'll be glad you did.
All right, welcome back. Hot notes. Today in Hot Notes, Jordan is going to give us an update on the NRA. But first, Jaleesa has a story about the Trump Organization hiring a lawyer to oversee responses to Democratic investigations. Jaleesa, what do you have for us? Yeah, basically that. On, on Friday, we learned that <laughs> from a letter. Yeah, that's it. Back to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. On Friday, we learned from a letter that was sent to the House Oversight Committee that the Trump Organization has hired former White House lawyer Stefan Pasatino. <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing that right. How's that spelled? P-A-S-S-A-N-T-I-N-O. Pasantino. Pasantino. Okay, great. You got it. Yeah, he's there to help respond to all the congressional investigations they're facing regarding Trump's businesses. And last year, Pasantino was the second ethics lawyer to leave the White House. After that, he went to go work for a previous law firm, and now he's back working for Trump. So apparently- Wait, he worked for Priebus? He did, in between his time when he quit last year from the White House and now. So he just started working for the Trump org as their lawyer, but in between that time, he was with Priebus's firm for some reason. Oh. Yeah, a little minor detail they mentioned there and just skimmed right over it. I wonder if he was at that firm before or if he just went to that firm after the White House. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure of that. I can look into it. But basically... I feel like it would have said he was there before if he had been. Yeah, because that was CNN's reporting, and, and, you know, they're juicy, and they like to get all the details. <laughs> so, uh, But the thing is, he plans to recuse himself from any issues he worked on while at the White House, which would have to include anything in the ethics department, considering that's the program he was overseeing. <laughs> so this is just weird. And specifically, Pasantino is uh, representing the Trump org in their response to a request by House Oversight Chairman Elijah Cummings, who in December asked for information concerning foreign payments to Trump's companies. And since Friday, there was a, that was the deadline for this request. Pasantino sent this letter reiterating a lot of the same claims that the Trump or org has previously made, which is basically the claim that payments from a foreign government do not qualify as emoluments because they are fees for services provided. Which is, that, that seems odd, because I googled what emoluments is by definition, and it seems like it is a service... Or a fee, like a fee for a service. Like, they can't just say that it's not the thing because it's the thing. Like, the <laughs> truth isn't truth. This is just weird, based, you know, from their letter. And in response to the letter, Cummings said, we will follow up as appropriate with the Trump organization to seek the information that we need. I hate how vague they have to be. Mm-hmm. And he's like basically saying, we will follow up as needed with a subpoena up your ass if that's required. Yeah, basically. But they're so tame with their words. I'm just like, these guys just said nonsense to you. <laughs> I wish they could say what they really felt. Um, I'm also kind of pissed that while the rest of the government shut down, the White House still gets to hire lawyers to cover their asses. That sucks. I don't know if he's got a legal fund that he's set up or if it's us. I really honestly don't know. I don't it just really that. pisses me off. I also find it funny that uh, that Trump has ethic lawyers. Like whenever that comes up, like <laughs> they're not doing a very good job, are they? <laughs> like to yeah. have yeah. What is an ethic? Said, no, I'm just curious. Like what what are they supposed to be doing? Like, yeah, ethics advisors. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, basically, remember what happened with Matthew Whitaker when he talked to the ethics advisors of the Department of Justice to find out if he should recuse himself, and they were like, yeah. Oh. And he was like, well, I don't like your answer. I'm gonna get a new team of ethics yeah. advisors. They so, just jerk each other off, basically. What were you gonna say, Jordan? Yeah, just it's funny that he said he's going to recuse himself from any matters that relate to ethics or whatever that he dealt with before. It's but like, he's going to work for Trump. Trump. Yeah, Trump is a walking <laughs> ethical violation. It's so weird. <laughs> but emoluments aren't emoluments. Yeah. And crimes aren't crimes. Yeah, right. yeah I was just going to say, Webster's already working on changing the definition. The new edition will be out this year. It's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Fake laws. 
<laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for that reporting. Thank you. Jordan, what's the news on the NRA? Yes. So uh, remember last month when I covered that story about Trump at the NRA using the same media company, National Media Research, a.k.a. Red Eagle Media, uh, a.k.a. Blue Trout Freedom, a.k.a. White People Good, uh, to push... <laughs> just kidding. Only Red Eagle Media. Brought to you by Volkswagen. <laughs> you know why. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I love you, Kate McKinnon. Sketch, yeah, so funny. Uh, and they had used this company basically to push out identical ads on behalf of both the NRA and then on the other side on behalf of Donald Trump. And this is against the law because independent groups are not supposed to have coordinated ad campaigns, but they did it anyway because they probably thought nobody would notice or care to prosecute them. Um, They had cover-up companies basically to make it look like they were different entities, but the members were doing the work, the members that were doing the work and the signatures that were made were identical for both ads purchased on behalf of Trump versus purchased on behalf of the NRA. So remember that? <laughs> <laughs> the um, NRA. Yes. Uh, well, we learned this week that some GOP congressional candidates did the same thing in 2016 and 2018. It was three races to be specific. The first one is Josh Hawley's run for Senate in 2018. That's when he defeated Claire McCaskill in Missouri. The second one is Matt Rosendale's run for Senate in 2018 in Montana, which he lost. Yay. And number three is Richard Burr's run for Senate in North Carolina in 2016, which he obviously won. So Mother Jones reports that FCC records showed FCC records showed ads for the NRA and those Senate campaigns had been signed off by the exact same person. This person is national media CFO John Farrell. We talked about that last time we covered this. And despite uh, them trying to operate under another name, AMAG, which uh, that's the <coughs> dyslexics version of MAGA. As we about. <laughs> that's great. America, make again great. <laughs> that's very Yoda. Uh, yeah, exactly. It is. Uh, poor Yoda. America, He's make rolling again over great. in his cosmic grave. Yeah. To <laughs> rolling himself over using his mind. <laughs> I snorted. Uh, but yeah, so essentially all of this means that they basically did the exact same thing that Trump and the NRA went on cahoots together on. Uh, Outside groups are not supposed to share ad strategy with the candidates that they are supporting, and this certainly would include releasing basically identical ads. Uh, A reminder, Larry Noble, he was the FEC general counsel from 1987 to 2000, said of this whole situation, quote, It's hard to understand how you'd have the same person authorizing placements for the NRA and the candidate and it not be coordination. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, John Farrell's bio on his website says he makes sure, quote, every penny allocated for media is spent according to election laws. (laughs) He must be part of that ethics group you were talking about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to call your web wizard, dude, and change that bio. That's (laughs) that's wrong. Um, So all this stuff... With the Senate races is turning out to be the exact same thing through and through. But instead of Trump as a candidate, it's those three Senate candidates. And that's just what's been uncovered so far. Who knows? There could be more. Um, same same guy, Farrell, signing off on everything. Same fake names that really just lead back to this national media group. These similar ads, by the way, would sometimes run within minutes of each other. So, like, one would be at 642 and another would be at 659 on the exact same channel. So... 
it was really all national um, or uh, one on behalf of the NRA, one on behalf of the candidate themselves. And mm-hmm. it was no all- coordination, none, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> none whatsoever. Yep. And it was all tracing back to the same group. So, yeah. Same guy, same time, same ad. Totally not involved or yeah. related at all. It was okay? like, a- <laughs> believe me, believe what I say, not what you see. Truth isn't truth. It's sad. <laughs> he could be like a doll or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like so obvious, too. They're literally going to put it five minutes apart from each other. It's like a one, two punch of stupid for the viewer. Mm. <laughs> um, so the Campaign Legal Center and the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence have both filed official FEC complaints for these violations. And the accused parties have not responded to any requests for comment as of now. <laughs> There's unfortunately not much precedent for this the kind of thing being pursued. As you may remember from our coverage last month, it's because the FEC has been an ideological gridlock for like a decade. However, FEC cases always do remain confidential until they're completely resolved. So maybe stuff is actually happening, but we just won't know until it's over. Um, I want to end this segment on a great quote from that guy Noble, the FEC counsel. He says, quote, what this reflects is the FEC's lack of enforcement and the lack of respect that the NRA and the vendor are showing toward the FEC and the law. You do this if you think no one is going to investigate. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for that update. Wow. Yes. Damn. NRA is fucked. Yeah, same shit, different day. <laughs> NRA. Mm-hmm. That should be their slogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, same shit, different day. That's SSDD. That has a nice run. T- okay. Yeah, no, I like it. <laughs> just, I like where you're going with I that. Just, it's like a what would Jesus do thing. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, I'm surprised it's not something we usually bump throw up on social media. <laughs> it could be a new AMAG thing. SSDD. Dyslexic MAGA. Again, make America great. No, America again great. My bad. My bad. Or All right. again, make America great. That makes way more sense. But I like oh, it yeah. the other way. It's funny. Not like, yeah, it's yeah. more Yoda E. Yeah. <laughs> the other way. All right. Sorry. I had to close my segment with endless rambling, or else it wouldn't be a segment. For wouldn't me. be true. Wouldn't be you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't be you. Yeah. All right. I'd like to go over the New York Times reporting about the FBI opening an inquiry on whether Trump was a Russian asset. If you're a longtime listener or Mueller junkie, you might be asking, so what? What's the news here? Uh, We all knew the FBI was investigating Russia's interference back in 2016, codenamed Crossfire Hurricane. Um, We even have a whole bonus episode about it. The main difference between that and this is that Crossfire Hurricane was an investigation into Russia and its interference in the election. Uh, A subsidiary of that investigation was whether or not anyone in the Trump campaign was knowingly or unknowingly involved. Um, that uh, the Crossfire Hurricane investigation was about what Russia did, which both James Baker and James Comey have testified to, is what allowed Comey to tell Trump he wasn't under investigation because he wasn't, right? This inquiry, though, this new one that we've learned about, reported in the Times Friday, was looking at whether or not Trump was either an unwitting or deliberate agent working on behalf of Russia against American interests. And back in 2016, they didn't really have the evidence or the fortitude to look into Trump because how do you even begin to do that? That's a super like sensitive subject. So they, it wasn't until 2017 when Trump started doing some shit that they were like, oh, this is pushing us over the edge. We're going to have to do this now. 
So the investigators wanted to determine if Trump's actions constituted a national security issue. The investigation also had a criminal element and that they were looking into whether the firing of Comey met the standards of obstruction of justice. But it's still about Russia and whether or not Russia co-opted Trump as an asset with his knowledge or not. So these investigations and the Mueller probe are about Russia and everything that's not, such as the Stormy Daniels campaign finance violations, they've all been handed off. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's get some background here. In 2016, the FBI was suspicious of Trump, but didn't open an inquiry, like I said, because they were being ultra prudent again because of the significance and sensitivity. Um, They were investigating the campaign, but the candidate himself was another story. But come 2017, there were three events surrounding the firing of James Comey that pushed the FBI over the edge uh, and they opened the counterintelligence part of the investigation with criminal elements. Um, Those three events were Trump telling Lester Holt that he had Russia on his mind when he fired Comey um, and when he told Russians in the Oval Office that the Russia cloud was lifted because he fired Comey, who was a nut job. Mm -hmm. The pressure was lifted. Yeah. yeah. And finally, there was the letter Trump wrote to Comey about why he was firing him that mentioned Russia. The version of that letter was never sent, however, because McGahn and Rosenstein told him that was stupid. (laughs) Uh, Dude, that's a crime. Uh, And Rosenstein even wrote him a more restrained letter and said, don't mention Russia in the letter, bro. Uh, And at that time, Trump told Rosenstein to include Russia. He was pissed. Uh, that he that Rosenstein's letter didn't have it in there. Rosenstein ignored him, which seems to happen a lot in the investigation <laughs> in, in the Trump administration. People stealing documents and rewriting them behind his back. Yeah, that pissed Trump off even more. And he included Russia in his final letter when he thanked Comey for telling him three times he wasn't under investigation. Um, a couple of days after the counterintelligence and criminal inquiries were open, Mueller was appointed and took over both this inquiry and the Crossfire Hurricane stuff. Oh, shoot! All under the Mueller umbrella. Yeah. So the key here, and we've known all these things. We knew that they were like, we were looking at obstruction of justice because of what he said to Lester Holt, because he told the Russians in the Oval Office, because of that letter that Rosenstein told him not to send and McGahn told him not to send. We knew all this was obstruction of justice, but we were under acting under the impression that that was criminal obstruction of justice, okay? And that it was separate from the counterintelligence um, collusion part right. of the investigation. The key here is that the obstruction of justice aspect of firing Comey was also a collusion matter. That's the news here, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a matter of national security. Firing Comey not only obstructs justice in the usual way we think of obstruction, but it also hurts the FBI's effort to determine how Russia interfered with the election and if any Americans were involved. That's according to James Baker, the FBI general counsel at the time, who, if you're an MSW listener, would know as part of the Comey Five. Those are the five guys at the top of the FBI that Comey shared his contemporaneous notes with. And it's the news that we didn't yet know, like I said. Someone uh, read part of Baker's private testimony to the New York Times this week, and he had said, quote, Not only would it be an issue of obstructing an investigation, but the obstruction itself would hurt our ability to figure out what the Russians had done, and that is what would be a threat to national security, unquote. That means obstruction is collusion. So by firing Comey, Trump was helping Russia by making it hard for our FBI to investigate their interference into our election. That's aiding and abetting a foreign power, which we know is part of conspiracy, which is what everybody calls collusion, right? Yeah, So a couple of points I want to make about this story. First, Rosenstein's joke about wearing a wire around Trump Hmm. finally makes sense. How so? Because it wasn't funny before. We're like, that's not funny. Why is that even funny? But if they were two days ahead of time, you know, 
yeah. before Mueller was appointed, talking about investigating Trump, that the, that they had open inquiries and whether or not he has been co-opted as a Russian <laughs> asset. Wearing a wire around him becomes a funny joke. Exactly. So, <laughs> so good job. You just got funnier in my book. <laughs> uh, he, he, I'm sure he didn't, but now the joke makes sense, right? Um, secondly, this reporting sort of fuses the criminal and counterintelligence silos of the Mueller investigation into one thing. We kind of already knew this, though, because Comey stated in his announcement um, that, as with any counterintelligence investigation, this will also include an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. So it's, it's ever since uh, 2002, some FISA case, uh, it's been kind of known that the, the FBI doesn't go at counterintelligence separately from crimes. They, it's all... They go with the full force of everything they're allowed to bring, right? But we have been, here at Mueller, she wrote, I have been, and a lot of the mainstream media, we've all kind of been under this impression, operating under this assumption, that the collusion investigation, which is the counterintelligence part, is separate from the obstruction investigation, which is the criminal part, and that we would be getting a separate report on obstruction versus the mm -hmm. collusion cases. But with this new reporting, it becomes clear that the firing of Comey and things like that aren't simply criminal obstruction. And it's inextricably linked to the FBI's counterintelligence or collusion investigation. And Ben Wittes in Lawfare says, quote, FBI officials thought of it rather in the context of the underlying counterintelligence purpose of the Russia investigation, unquote. And that James Baker, um, when he was asked whether the firing of Comey had added to the threat of national security that the FBI was confronting, he said yes. Mm. So when folks like Barr and Whitaker and Giuliani say that the president can't obstruct justice because he is justice <laughs> and under Article 2 he has the right to fire whomever he wants, that could apply to the criminal aspect of obstruction of justice, right? Mm -hmm. um, if your argument is that the president's above the law, but it, <laughs> it wouldn't apply to the counterintelligence aspect, right, which could be the bulk of this. And as Ben Wittes of Lawfare writes, that could raise a different legal question about whether the president can be under counterintelligence investigation by his own FBI, but that's not the issue being argued by the president's allies. So with this new understanding, is Mueller going to issue two different reports on collusion and obstruction, or are they now linked with many different threads leading into the cases like Flynn and Manafort and Gates and Cohen? And if it's the latter, will all that really be wrapping up next month? <laughs> I mean, we were talking about how NBC was going to say that the report's going to come out at the end of February and Rosenstein's going to leave. And I was like, well, maybe the obstruction part. Well, now we're learning the obstruction part is the collusion part. Uh, and that would mean one whole big report, right? Mm -hmm. And that would be coming out in February. Uh, and, you know, we've been talking about how the Andrew Miller case is still uh, ongoing. Mueller just asked for six more months for his grand jury. He hasn't even received the documents he's trying to get from country A, mm -hmm. right, in that secret subpoena battle. So when Rosenstein says he's stepping down early in March because Mueller's wrapping up, which in our old way of thinking would be impossible, but with collusion and obstruction inextricably linked and taking into account the letter outlining the scope of the Mueller investigation written by Rosenstein, Mueller is responsible for investigating and reporting. We now have a new picture. And I reached out to David Priest to bounce some ideas off of him. And he was basically saying, look, those things, the Miller thing and the company A, country A thing, could be a tiny little percent of things that are undone. And would Mueller wait until every single like thread from this case had gone to trial and had a conclusion before he final wrote a final report? No, because he's not Ken Starr. He's not going to put out a conclusive report that draws conclusions about this thing. He's an investigator. He's a prosecutor. He's putting together a report with all the evidence um, to say, I've got, here's all everything I've got. Y'all can continue at the DOJ to investigate this how you please. Mm. Here's my report. 
Um, and, and that report wouldn't necessarily have to wait for all these little tiny things to be tied up. Does that make sense? That does make sense. It does make sense. But what if some of those things have something that he thinks would be consequential enough to the investigation as a whole, you know? Then he wouldn't file his report. Right. That's right. kind of what I'm thinking. I don't think there's any way it's coming out in February. I do now, though. Yeah. Because I, I think I that we, there's so much we don't know, though. Mm-hmm. You're assuming we... Well, you're not. I'm not saying you're... I'm assuming what you're assuming. That's not the case. <laughs> because I was thinking this myself, that those are big things. But I keep telling myself we only know 1% of what's going on. The bulk of it could already be done. Yeah. Mm. All the shit we don't know. And these things that we think are huge might be tiny. Right. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I know Mueller's not political, but it does make sense that that House would continue investigating these kind of things. So Mueller knows that it wouldn't be for naught. Like he well, could... the DOJ would. Oh, yeah, them too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, it, yeah, Mueller would just be setting it up and passing the torch, essentially, right? Right. Here's all my findings. Here's the bulk of it. Mm-hmm. There's all these, you know, we're going to have to figure out what Andrew Miller's doing. And and talking to David Priest, and, he, you know, of course, this is all speculation. We, we don't know for sure, but I'm trying to figure out how could the report possibly be done at the end of February with all of these outstanding things. Mm-hmm. And that was the initial thought, was that those are tiny compared to what he actually knows. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know the answer, but... I assume, and I've emailed a couple of experts on this, and I don't have the answer yet, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I assume because I'm not afraid of being wrong, (laughs) Um, that these threads that haven't been wrapped up or gone to trial or concluded could be continued to be investigated by the Department of Justice, and indictments could be issued after the Mueller report comes out as those investigations continue. And I also had asked... um, uh, a couple of experts, which I don't have the answer to yet, whether or not the DOJ can continue to use Mueller's grand jury, which would be a reason for him to extend the grand jury six more months. But be like, I'm going to give you my report, but you can continue to use my grand jury mm-hmm. because it's originated from this. And this mm-hmm. is the grand jury who's investigating these matters. Wow. But I don't have the answer to that yet either. Mm-hmm. But in my eyes, that's the I'm not going to say I think that he's done. What I'm saying is if the that's the way the report could come out at the end of February. Right. right. If like, it was going to. Like a, I mean? like a springboard, basically, for those who want to continue it on. Right. This isn't the see end. It through fully. This isn't, his report is not the end. Yeah, that makes it sense. It is the starting point. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it just depends on what you think Mueller's end role is, sort of, in all of this. <clears throat> if you think it's more to, like, alley-oop, then totally February makes sense. Right. And and David Priest brought that up, too. He's like, I haven't looked at the charging documents for um, Archibald Cox in the Watergate and um, Ken Starr in the Clinton investigation. Mm-hmm. Maybe they said, go all the way to the end and wrap it all up and then report. Whereas we looked at, um, together on the phone, we looked at the document that Rosenstein wrote about what Mueller's supposed to do, and it's just investigate uh, these matters of Russia um, anything that arises and anything that arises out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that might signal to Mueller, it's not my job to reach conclusions here. My job is to give you what I've found. Yeah. Um, and so these things can continue because he might have already found everything he needs in the Andrew Miller case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But it still needs to be concluded, but it can be concluded by the Department of Justice. That's yeah. right. Totally. It kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. 
Because I'm sitting here I like... I hope it's the other, like the latter, though, <laughs> that he's just going to see it all through till the bitter end and everyone's going to jail. That's what I'm <laughs> But that could be dangerous to our... I mean, everyone will go to jail whether right. <laughs> the DOJ continues to tie up the loose ends that don't require any further investigation or require investigation, but, you know, he's already got the starting point and all the information that we need about it enough to prosecute. Hopefully. Uh, but he might be like, dude, if I wait until we tie up every loose end until this thing goes the next year through appeals with Miller or whatever, and then we have have all the trials and then the conclusions are drawn if i wait another three years we could reelect this man mm-hmm. yeah so this also might be one of his decisions that he's making uh in favor of justice for the democracy mm-hmm. versus justice for individuals do you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah that makes total sense yeah uh, i hope if that happens the doj can remain unbiased enough in their you know efforts for that plan to work. Yeah, they have so far. I don't see why they won't. Well, this this whole report in the New York Times about the D- Department of Justice and the FBI re- or opening these counterintelligence and criminal investigations into obstruction as collusion solidify my faith that the FBI, even though it's run by Trump's people, will do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this gives this like makes me feel better. I'm going to sleep better tonight. Yeah. Knowing that they open these investigations and and priest David Priest had said that there's no reason uh, going on to what I was talking about earlier. There's no reason that every pro uh, to think that every prosecution that's an outgrowth of this investigation has to be concluded or all the appeals that would follow in those would have to be concluded for Mueller to file his report and uh, that all those investigations um, that would need completing could be picked up by the Department of Justice. Um Anyway, so that, that's kind of, if Mueller filed his report at the end of February, that's how he can do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Even though there's sense. probably two or three years left of trials and threads and investigations and indictments to come out further. Exactly. Yeah. In general. He'd really be putting pressure on the people and the Congress and, and the DOJ to do their jobs. Like, he wouldn't be that, like, savior that everybody, I guess, us included, kind of makes him out to be sometimes. Exactly, Which Lisa. would be beautiful. And that's exactly what Joyce Vance has told us. That's what Ben Wittes said. That's what David Priest said to me on the phone. He's not a white knight. He's not here to save us all. Mm-hmm. He's here to give us, investigate, give us the facts, and then it's up to us. To uh, save ourselves. The Department of Justice, the the agencies, the people, the Congress, to do the work of the people. Mm-hmm. He's not a Ken Starr. Yeah. Right. Is pretty much what he's, he's like, hey, I'll give you everything that you need and you do as you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do get wrapped up in the romanticized idea of him being that hero that's going to save everything. And yeah. I trust him and I know he's smart and he's those good at his lines. job. So. Yeah. And those jawlines. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, he he is, uh, you know, a white knight and a hero in that he's gathering all these facts. Right. Yeah. He's, and he's doing enough. it diligently and he's going to present it in a way that can't be refuted. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and those facts and those crimes are going to be so bulletproof because of the way that he's conducted this investigation and you know without any leaks and completely thoroughly that that it it's going to give us this really solid beefy solid report that we can take and use instead of this uh i think it was kind of bullshit right it won't be like the dossier where they can be like well we haven't seen any evidence Mueller has all the evidence exactly yeah because that's his job as an investigator and a prosecutor totally it's not his job to be the judge and jury. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. That's a judge and jury job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Damn, that's intense. It's like not only does he have to worry about just the investigation inherently, also how it fits into the grander scheme of things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
you know, we've been talking about forever about how he's not just interested in methods and procedures and rules, but he's also interested in justice for the country, the democracy, people, the American people. And that kind of falls into that. Like, I'm not going to wait three years to do this and wrap everything up and make conclusions for you. Right. uh, Because we don't have time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, this is also we all have our own jobs to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, that could have been poor reporting by NBC. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're also saying uh, sources close to Rod Rosenstein are saying that because he's leaving. And I've, I've, I've wondered myself, too, like Rod Rosenstein is a witness mm-hmm. in the obstruction case, mm-hmm. which is now the obstruction and collusion case. Uh, and why is he able to able to overcuse or overcuse <laughs> oversee the Mueller investigation when someone like Whitaker, who's got his opinions about the case, is not exactly? Um, and you know, this is oh, super space beans. But what if he's leaving so he can testify? Oh snap! He couldn't testify with the position he's in now. Well, he would be like in direct, just be called as a witness. He would be in direct conflict, right? That'd be, yeah, like James Comey couldn't do it until after he was fired, right? Well, or, it's not so much that. It's it's that if you're going to oversee the Mueller investigation, you can't be part of it. Like, mm-hmm. Sessions couldn't oversee the Mueller investigation because he was part of the campaign. Right. Um, he was being investigated. Uh, and I think that if you're a witness or you have inside information into a case, you can't oversee it. Right. Right, yeah. He'd have to, like... I guess I was thinking he could recuse himself from a case as opposed to leaving the position as a whole or something, but it's too late by this point. The case is well in. That that time is coming past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, yeah. that's super speculation. You might be able to oversee an investigation and be a witness in it. It doesn't make sense to me. I would be right. mad about that. In yeah, kind of would too, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I guess because... But he it, also it has, might have the same ethics advisors that Whitaker has. Yeah. <laughs> where he's like, no, no, you know. Yeah. I guess I... Because I <laughs> Whitaker decided to stay... Rosenstein could decide to stay right, right? isn't that tr- well, kind of what happened mm-hmm. yeah well and then like with Sessions I mean that's kind of one of the main reasons he recused himself was for a similar thing he was again right. a criminal in it he happened to perjure himself yeah but he didn't say that when <laughs> but, he recused himself he just said I was involved in the campaign and that's why I'm recusing myself right. and the rules are clear and he followed them Whitaker went to the ethics advisory they're like you should recuse yourself recuse yourself but he technically doesn't have to yeah, yeah. and maybe rosenstein was told you should recuse yourself because you're a witness in the ca- in this case and he's like i, I don't think i'm gonna mm. for the sake of justice or or just to make sure why. the investigations continued on and stuff in the right ways but i think matthew whitaker has shown us that it, even if you're supposed to recuse you don't have to mm-hmm. yeah and so it could be that too right um, he might have been a witness this whole time <laughs> yeah that would yeah. be interesting yeah it seems like to be called as a witness is different than someone like sessions that was an active participant in the thing <laughs> if you're not totally. a subject or a target or right a, a, not even a so i don't even think at that time sessions was a subject um but just you a know participant, they right? might know yeah. something we don't know yeah and i guess there exists the potential to reveal your opinions and the consequences you know people may think that would have on your ability to oversee the investigation is kind of the risk that being a witness would pose Mm -hmm. yeah but again i mean if snoop dag decides he doesn't want to recuse himself maybe he just doesn't have to Mm -hmm. interesting fuck all y'all snoop dag speaking of did you see snoop dogg's video oh my god (laughs) 
so fucking Tell everyone. good. Yeah, he just posted this amazing selfie video mm-hmm. from like his waistline, just like looking down, like basically telling all the federal employees that are not getting paid right now that you're crazy if you ever vote for Trump again and don't forget this shit because he doesn't give a fuck about you and he doesn't give a fuck about any of us. And it's just like the best. Keeping it real, yeah, man. You gotta look it Snoop. up. It's Snoop so Dogg, Snoop Dogg, love you both. Yeah. <laughs> Big ups. All right, you guys, we'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies. It's a new year, and it's not too late for those resolutions. Uh, I always start mine at weird times anyway, because there's too much pressure on January 1st. And if there's one tool that you need in your tool belt for self-care and better health, it's Noom. Um, I don't have enough time to say how amazing it is uh, in these ads, but let's start with the basics. It's an amazing app that has a food log, a nutritionist, a health coach, community support, lifestyle hacks, psych tricks, a step counter, and an exercise log, and motivation all in one place. (laughs) It's all together. And I used to have to use so many different apps to track all that. Um, I had a food log and I had a separate exercise tracking app and all that. This is all in one place, the step counter. It's so great. And I love that little, my coach, he's, he's good. Uh, two big things I've always had trouble with are my all or nothing attitude. Like if I'm doing good for three days and then I have a cookie, I'm like, well, I just might as well eat what, 76 burritos this weekend. <laughs> um, do you do that? Cause I oh, do that. hell yeah. I did that <laughs> last night. Yeah, that's at all. Sorry, that's, that's a big thing. No, don't be sorry. That's the cool thing about Noom. They're different. They're teaching me how to modify my relationship uh, with food. Um, yes. And have no shame in those things. Don't look at burritos as shameful. Look at them as delicious burritos. Right. They have that. One of their amazing lessons that they teach, is, teach you is that you're going to have ups and downs in your journey, basically. And when you hit those downs, know that there's going to be an up and that that's normal. And you don't have to commit to eating 76 burritos for the next three days to punish yourself. <laughs> <laughs> or to be like, it's all for nothing anyway. I had a cookie. Right. Um, but it, it's not only resulted in weight loss, um, but I feel better and I'm happier and I'm less stressed. So, And we have a tour coming up and we're going to be needing our energy along with tips on how to stay on track when traveling because that can be really hard. So this is going to make it really easy. Yeah. And you know how we feel about self-care. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's it's really good. And the way that the app is set up, it feels like a little game that you get to do sort of a few minutes a day. And it's not hard and it's good information and you're doing something to make your life better. Yeah, like how if you drive a, a one of those hybrid cars, it gives you a little thing about how much energy you're saving and it yeah. makes you want to save more energy. It's, it's super like that. Good psych tricks. I love it. Yeah, so give yourself this amazing gift by heading to noom.com slash ag and sign up today. That's n-o-o-m dot com slash ag. Take their 30-second quiz. Find out how long it will take to reach your goal. That's noom.com slash ag. What have you got to lose? All right, you guys, are you ready for the Fantasy Indictment League? Yes. All right, let's get through it. Jordan, you get to pick first this time because I picked first last time. I'll draft last this time, and we'll go around until we each have five. Sound good? Sounds Hell good. Hell yeah. All right. Stone. Damn you. I know. He's just <laughs> such a... Yeah. As soon as you got him Stone. last week, I was like, blast. Mm. All right. Um, junior. Eric Prince. Nice. Proctology Prince. <laughs> Superseding Manafort indictments. Mm. Superseding Manafort. 
SS Manafort. Oh, All God. aboard. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> he has orgies. Yeah. We'll just keep going and see how far we can go until someone catches us. Yeah. That's what that ship does. <laughs> <laughs> ship of crimes. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, something you would say. Uh, I'm going to go with Assange. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Jaleesa? Trump org. Trump org. Yeah, they just hired a new lawyer, didn't they? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Kushner. Kush. Kush Lash. And we're out. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> how about mm, Ivanka? Oh, nice. Do we get Corsi yet? Nope. Oh, no. Corsi, Fuck. yeah. I'm dropping the ball. Okay. <laughs> um, let's do... I definitely want a rando. Oh, wait. You know what? I'm going to do Vesselnitskaya. Mm-hmm. On the off chance that dots are connected. So she was indicted right. on her whole civil forfeiture right. in that separate case, but you're thinking... I'm saying Mueller related. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mueller related, related indictment. No plea agreement? No, no, God, no. No, God, no. <laughs> no, bitch. <laughs> Damn. Um, Boyarkin. Nice. That's right, that weird name I can remember. Um, Erickson, the beast. Did someone not get, did you, oh wait, no, you got Prince, okay. One, two, three, four. You got one more. Okay, Rando. Jaleesa? <clears throat> Rando, please. That leaves me, I went last, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> damn. Stone, I'm kidding, I know you already <laughs> picked Stone. <laughs> it's gonna be him. <laughs> Um, how about boil? Okay. Boil. It's been a while since I thought about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I've got Junior, Assange, Ivanka, Boyarkin, and Boyle. Julissa, you've got Prince. Uh, tampons? No, Trump Org. <laughs> Corsi, Erickson, and Rando. And um, Joko, you've got Stone, Superseding Manafort, uh, Kush, Veselnitskaya in the Mueller investigation, and a Rando. Yes. Yeah, sounds good. All right, cool. You guys ready for sabotage? Yes. All right, so this week in sabotage, guys, I can't believe this, but um, there's a report that Ivanka Trump could lead the World Bank. Um, <laughs> so the first daughter's name is said to be floating around Washington, um, but it wouldn't be her first unconventional role uh, mm -hmm. in the world. So the Financial Times reported Friday that uh, Trump is floating um, Ivanka's name around Washington to, to be president of the World Bank because we get to nominate that person. The United States gets to nominate that person. Oh, no. Uh, the role will soon be open due to the departure of uh, Jim Young Kim. That's the current um, president who's departing. Um, surprisingly, we were surprised by that. But um, <laughs> on politics, at least in Twitter, the idea that replacement might be the first daughter was uh, met with widespread scorn. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that's the reason why, if she's actually being considered World Bank president, um, that's why I have her on my fantasy indictment league. Also, I mean, she also laundered money and, you know, did that whole Azerbaijan thing. And she's right, super right. corrupt and she's a complete criminal. <laughs> but. I feel like being nominated to the World Bank could make her be vetted by other countries' intelligence, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
agencies. Agencies. Yeah, and they'll dig up something there. Right, like it's just going to put a big microscope, a global microscope on her, and the, those agencies might share that intel with uh, Mueller, and then boom, we might have something that pops up. So that's kind of why I was like, oh, she's going to be under scrutiny now. Right. Mm-hmm. More scrutiny than she why is under Mueller herself. Why would Trump do that unless he wanted to, you think it's a money grab, or is it some position of power that he thinks would give him leverage? Yeah. I, I guarantee you it's 100% self-interest. Yes. Right, right. I think he just has children so that he can have spawns of himself come out so he can be in two places at once. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like little money makers mm-hmm. running around for you. Or money yeah. losers. Yeah. <laughs> Most people have children just money so they losers, can do chores. <laughs> yeah. And, ru- and and change the channel on the TV before remote controls. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is just so that they, they're like Putin oligarchs. Basically. Yeah, they're American Putin <laughs> oligarchs. Trump crotch fruit. Ugh, <laughs> gross. I know, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, it's time for the interview. And this is going to be amazing. And I was so nervous to talk to this guy, but it went so well and he was so kind. So everybody check it out. All right, so back in the mid to late 2000s, some bad hombres stole about $230 million in a Russian tax fraud scheme and then laundered that money through real estate transactions in New York using a Cyprus-based investment firm called Prevazon Holdings. Magnitsky, a tax fraud specialist, alleged that the theft was carried out by Russian officials, and Putin, a guy who we know gets rich stealing from the Russian people, targeted Magnitsky. So they arrested him in 2008, and they beat him and starved him and tortured him didn't provide him health care while he was imprisoned, and he died in Russian custody. And and then we get to Bill Browder. He's the CEO of Hermitage Capital, who, in response to Magnitsky's murder, lobbied Congress, U.S. Congress, to pass the Magnitsky Act to punish human rights violators. Obama signed it into law in 2012, and in response, Putin banned U.S. adoptions of Russian children. Putin also put together a group of anti-Magnitsky Act lobbyists, which included Veselnitskaya, and she pitched her tale to folks like Dana Rohrabacher, who just recently lost his bid uh, for Congress. And he even she even brought her Magnitsky file to that June 2016 Trump Tower meeting. And she also worked for the team defending Prevazon Holdings, who, in a strange plot twist, hired a firm to dig up dirt on its enemies, which included Bill Browder. And that firm was Fusion GPS, and that's the same firm that Republicans and then Democrats hired to get oppo research on Trump. Also the same firm that hired Christopher Steele, who wrote the dossier. And that's why I think Republicans wouldn't stop asking about Prevazon Holdings and testimony from witnesses involved in this case, because they were trying to discredit that dossier. So this week, Veselnitskaya was indicted for obstructing justice in the civil forfeiture case for the money laundering scheme. Uh, And she's charged with coordinating a response with Kremlin officials to whitewash a document filed with the court about Prevazon Holdings, and she got caught. So joining us today to discuss the indictment of Veselnitskaya is the CEO of Hermitage Capital, the architect of the Global Magnitsky Act, and the author of Red Notice. Please welcome Bill Browder. Bill, thanks for joining us on Mueller, she wrote. Uh, Great to be here. So first, I know it's hard to sum up, but is that the story in a nutshell? Did I miss any glaring, obvious things that should be brought to light? Well, I'm actually working on my next book, um, and um, and it's going to be about 400 pages to discuss that. So for you to be able to do that in three minutes is a big accomplishment. <laughs> Thank you. It was really difficult. <laughs> I remember watching your testimony in July of 2017 and, and listening to the chilling story of, of the capture and murder of Magnitsky. So, um, yeah, it was tough to sum up there. But I did want to get your top line reaction this week on the indictment of Veselnitskaya. Well, um, I, I was delighted to see it. Um, uh, Natalia Veselnitskaya 
um, is, is a person who pushed every boundary and pushed beyond what was legal in many places in order to do the Kremlin's bidding. And, um, and we saw her um, uh, uh, cheating in the U.S. Um, uh, case in which the U.S. Department of Justice was prosecuting her client, uh, Preferzone. And she was cheating. And, and, and this is where it gets interesting, is that um, uh, in, in order for the U.S. to prosecute Preferzone, they wanted to get documents um, through a, what's called a mutual legal assistance request from the Russian government. And so the United States government asked the Russian government for documents to prove the case. And what happened then was that Natalia Veselnitskaya effectively goes into the office of the Russian government, where, where she's an agent of the Russian government, and instead of the Russian government replying to the Department of Justice, Natalia Veselnitskaya replies to the Department of Justice, and she says, we're not going to give you those documents. Um, and, and then she makes up a fake story about how me and Sergei were the ones who did the crime that her client was accused of. And what makes the story so fascinating is that the U.S. Department of Justice got hold of her emails and got hold of documents, of Word documents, with properties in track changes that show that she was the one editing the documents, replying from the Russian government to the U.S. government. And so she got caught red-handed. And it's, it's, it's very satisfying to watch um, her get indicted and, uh, and to watch her squirm and, and, uh, and make all these crazy comments after being indicted by the U.S. government. Yeah, exactly. And it does actually give us a, a proof that she is connected to the Kremlin pretty strongly. Uh, and I also wanted to ask you, do you know if any of the Prevazon real estate deals in New York were in any way connected to Trump or anyone in his family like Kushner? Well, it, it, there's a sort of um, they're sort of connected in a very obtuse way. Um, the, the, the only way I can say they're connected is that Preferzone bought a bunch of properties from a company called AFI. AFI is a company owned by Lev Levayev. And Lev Levayev and AFI were involved with Jared Kushner in the New York Times building transaction um, a couple of years earlier. But I, I think that that's a pretty tenuous connection, if any at all. Yeah, definitely a kind of a third or fourth, you know, times removed from that. But uh, I was just interested because I, I wasn't able to find a lot of information on it. Um, something else interesting is that Trump fired Preet Bharara, who was handling this case or overseeing it, two days, I think, before the Prevazon case went to trial. And then shortly after that, uh, the case was settled. Um, why do you suppose, do you think, did you find any odd, anything odd about that? Um, I, I didn't. Um, uh, I think the case settled mainly because the, um, uh, uh, the, the U.S. government were, were able to get three times the amount of money that they had attracted to New York in a settlement. So they, had, they were able to track $2 million of dirty Russian money coming into the United States and Preferzone settled for six. And, and I guess um, they had originally frozen 14. And so their idea was, why not take just six instead of risking uh, a jury trial for the 14 and then possibly end up having to pay the other side's fees if the jury trial goes the wrong way? Okay, that makes sense. And um, to your point about when, you know, Veselnitskaya was caught red-handed coordinating uh, with Russia on this response to the court, that happened back, I think, in 2015. Why do you suppose they waited until this past December to indict her? Well, it, so, so they didn't know about it until last year. All this information came out in an NBC News report about a year ago. 
And um, uh, after the NBC News report, I would imagine that the, I, I was gobsmacked when I watched this show where, where they actually had the documents. NBC News had the documents. And I'm sure that the um, people at the U.S. Justice Department had the same reaction that I did. And um, it, 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 I would say it's actually sort of lightning speed based on my own observation of how quickly cases get put together at the U.S. Justice Department. A year from, from uh, a recognition of a crime to an indictment is a, is a pretty fast moving thing. And so I don't, I don't think there's anything unusual about that. Okay, that's good to know. I, I, you know, that was one of the big questions that a lot of our listeners had is why it took so long. But that seems to be along the timeline tracks of how the Justice Department operates. Um, how do you think the Trump Tower meeting with Veselnitskaya figures into this story? And um, I mean, what do you make of Manafort's notes during that meeting, which included your name uh, and something that said value in Cyprus as inter, among other things? What do you make of all that? Well, so so. Uh, it, it, a lot of the a lot of the the, the um, press reported that Veselnitskaya was being indicted on a separate matter than the Trump Tower meeting, and that's just not true. Natalia Veselnitskaya had one basic goal, or sort of two two goals uh, under one heading, which was um, to discredit me and discredit Sergei Magnitsky on behalf of Vladimir Putin to have the Magnitsky Act repealed. That was her main. That's what she was tasked with in the United States. And she was operating on a very aggressive uh, plan to do that. And um, her lying in, um, uh, in this court case and this obstruction of justice was part of that. And going to the Trump Tower meeting, a meeting with Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort with a request from Putin that if, if Donald Trump gets elected, um, would he please repeal the Magnitsky Act as all part and parcel of the same thing. Okay, so it's it's about you know lifting sanctions. Yes. Yeah, so just so you understand the context, Vladimir Putin um, is one of the richest men in the world. He became rich by killing people, stealing assets, imprisoning people, etc. Like he did with Sergei Magnitsky. Um, he's gotten so rich, he keeps all that money offshore. And the Magnitsky Act says that people who commit human rights abuses can have their money offshore frozen. And so Vladimir Putin feels very personal about this. And Vladimir Putin has a lot of money that can be frozen offshore. And, um, and so after the Magnitsky Act passed in 2012, Vladimir Putin issued a, a foreign policy white paper, a sort of strategy paper about his foreign policy for the world. And he said that repealing the Magnitsky Act was his single largest foreign policy priority with the United States. And so this is something which he feels very, very personal about. He really wants to achieve, and he's ready to go to great lengths with all sorts of different operations to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the things that I was wondering about that um, I had I had read was that, uh, and I wanted to ask you, does the Magnitsky Act still allow the president of the United States to veto individuals on the OFAC sanctions list? Well, so the, the way the Magnitsky Act works is that the State Department and the Treasury Department are tasked with putting together the list of people to be sanctioned. And um, every year um, in December, uh, the Magnitsky Act should be updated to add new people. Um, Strangely, this year it didn't happen. Not so strangely, the reason it didn't happen is that everybody working in the sanctions team is on uh, furlough um, uh, because of the government shutdown. But because because this this is an executive decision, the president can 
um, block people from that are being proposed by the State Department or the Treasury Department. Um, uh, the president, in theory, can take people off the list if 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 he wants to, and um, and he has pretty much unlimited latitude. The only thing the president can't do is repeal the Magnitsky Act. The Magnitsky Act was passed as an act of Congress, and so for the law to disappear, it would require an act of Congress to repeal it. <clears throat> I see, and um, that kind of ties into this week. Uh, when the Secretary of Trump's Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, gave a closed-door briefing to Congress about lifting sanctions on Oleg Deripaska. Uh, can you tell us how the Magnitsky Act will play a role, maybe, in helping block that lifting of sanctions? Well, so so the, 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 uh, Oleg Deripaska was sanctioned under the CATSA law, which was the uh, election hacking law, not the Magnitsky Act, but it, it uses the same exact Treasury tools to sanction people. And it's an extremely, extremely powerful tool because by going after the richest people in the richest Russians, um, by putting them on the sanctions list, it's, it's absolutely devastating. Now, um, this, this whole Deripaska situation is very, very, um, uh, unpleasant for me to watch because Oleg Deripaska for any observer of Russia, we all know that he's effectively, uh, an alter ego of Putin. He, he's a guy who's like a private sector arm of the Putin regime. He does stuff in the private sector that, you know, for Putin that Putin couldn't do because he's president. And so by sanctioning Darpaska, it was really a, a sort of like a neutron bomb going off over Moscow. And the fact that they're now discussing lifting part of the sanctions against Darpaska is a very, very ugly development. And all the justifications that they're using for why they're lifting sanctions don't make any sense to me. Yeah, us, us, yeah, we, they don't make sense to us either. Um, and uh, it just seems like another way that just seems like one of the many ways they're trying to circumvent uh, these sanctions. Well, um, I mean, the, 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 just, just in case people don't know the arguments that they're making, they're basically saying that Oleg Deripaska owns an aluminum company uh, a, um, uh, energy company and, and some other bits and pieces. And the, the treasury Mnuchin is saying, you know, we, we mean to sanction him, but we don't want to destroy the livelihoods of people working in these companies. And therefore what they're saying is that if he reduces his ownership stake from 70% to 45%, then that will make the treasury comfortable that he doesn't control the companies anymore. But that's just nonsense. Anybody who spent more than five minutes on Wall Street or, or even knows somebody on Wall Street knows that 40, owning 45% of a company means you control the company. And so the idea that, that somehow he doesn't control it if you bring him down below 50% is just a weak sort of um, uh, a weak excuse to basically give him a huge gift. Right. And, that, and didn't I read that VTB was actually buying a lot of these shares? Of course. And so VTB is going to buy shares and there's going to be a, a guy named Lord Barker, a British guy who's been who's like his personal concierge, um, who's going to be the trustee and all is going to be, as, you know, it's all sort of smoke and mirrors. And the, and the reality is that they're all just snickering in the background, thinking that they legged us over one more time. Well, I hope Congress um, presses this issue uh, because it's it's disturbing to me that they're even thinking about lifting sanctions on on him or Rusal or any of his companies but um, 
One last thing I wanted to ask you about. You've spent the greater part of your time on activities in support of the Magnitsky Act, which pretty much passed the Senate unanimously. I think there were two holdouts. Famous, a famous holdout was Bernie Sanders, and I was wondering if you've ever had occasion to speak with him about that vote, and do you know why he opposed it? Uh, I do not know. And, and I, I, you know, during the previous election, when, when um, some of my left-wing friends were uh, feeling the burn, I would I would remind them that I say this is the guy who voted against the Magnitsky Act. Um, uh, you know I I, I don't uh, I don't know why he did that, but I I hold it against him. I mean it was a ninety eight to uh, uh, to two vote. Yeah, I've I've heard both sides of that story, and some folks say that he was uh, he voted no because it didn't go far enough. Uh, it gave the executive too much power, but I I haven't been able to confirm that with anybody. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> All right, before I let you go, can you tell us about your book Red Notice? So uh, my book, Red Notice, uh, is a, an account of, of how I ended up in Russia, um, how I started my business in Russia, how for a while it was a, a, an amazing and successful business, and then I encountered the most horrible corruption anyone could ever imagine, um, and the Russians were stealing everything. I tried to fight the stealing, and that led to me being expelled from the country, my company seized, my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, arrested tortured and murdered. And then the last third of the book is my fight for justice, which culminates in the passage of the Magnitsky Act, which is the thing that, that Putin hates more than anything. Um, it's, a, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a book which um, uh, uh, you, you'll, you'll learn a lot about Russia, but you don't have to care about Russia to read it because uh, it, it, it's just a fascinating and terrifying story all the way through. Absolutely. It is terrifying. And I encourage everybody to pick up that book, Red Notice. I also encourage you to watch Bill Browder's testimony to Congress from 2017 and listen to episode two of Mueller, She Wrote. It's all about the Magnitsky Act and, and Bill Browder's testimony. Um, everyone's CEO of Hermitage Capital and author of Red Notice, Bill Browder. Bill, thanks for joining us on Mueller, She Wrote. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dan Dunn, host of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, the most wildly entertaining adult beverage-themed podcast in the history of the medium. That's right, the boozy best of the best, baby. And we have the cool celebrity promos to prove it. Check this out. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom. Boom is right, Academy Award winner Allison Janney. As you can see, celebrities just love this show. How cool is that? Hey, this is Scotty Pippen, and you're listening to The Dan Dunn Show. And, wait, hold on. The name of the show is what? All right, sure. Scotty Pippen momentarily forgot the show's name, but there's a first time for everything. Hey, everyone, this is Scoot McNary. I'm here with Dan Dunn on What Are You Drinking? What's or, it called again? Fine, twice. But famous people really do love this show. Hi, this is Will Forte, and you're, for some reason, listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. What do you mean for some reason, Will Forte? What's going on? Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please, send help. Send help? Oh, come on, Kurt Russell. Can somebody out there please help me? I'm Dita Von Tees, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. <laughs> Let me try one more time. Come on. Is that oh, right? Sorry. What we're no, drinking? It's amazing. It, it's it amazing. Right, it's just... Is it right? Ah, that's better. So be like Dita Von Teese, friends, and listen to what we're drinking with Dan Dunn, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey. 
So, Renato, do you still have your own podcast? Yeah, it's complicated. What's so complicated about a podcast? That's the name of the podcast, remember? Oh, will you still be exploring topics that help us understand the week's news? You bet. But we'll have a new name because we're going to be working together to explore complicated issues that are dominating the news. Working together? Yeah, you're hosting it with me, remember? Oh, right. Wait, does that mean our podcast is going to have a steam mop segment? Let's not get carried away. But we'll discuss hot new legal topics. So check out our new episode coming soon to everywhere you get podcasts as well as YouTube. All right, guys, that's our show for this week. Um, Big, big news. And if you know people who want to know about what's going on in in Mueller news, which is going to start happening more and more now, I have a feeling, (laughs) Um, especially with this latest New York Times report, send them our way. Um, Recommend us to your friends who are like, I can't keep up on all this. We're happy to help. Um, If you're not a patron, become one. We have a midweek episode now where we'll be giving you all the news that comes out in the first couple days of the week that you wouldn't have. You normally have to wait until Sunday to hear. Um, and then we, you know, we re- retool it a little bit for the Sunday episode so it doesn't sound so repeaty for you. Um, and we're also taking suggestions on segments for the midweek episode. We've got a lot of good ideas so far. Um, here's some of my favorites. You guys tell me what you think. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, cocktail happy hour, hump day happy hour. <laughs> uh, where we come up with a cocktail like the Moscow Muller and we t- say how to make it and we drink it. I love that idea because we do Wednesday Wednesdays for them. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Plus, we get to drink. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're gonna really make it. I love it. Yeah, I'm gonna have a cocktail person come in here and make the cocktails for us. Oh well, hell yeah. Talk then. about it, and we'll give you the recipe. Then you can have the cocktail with us. <laughs> that's the best. Yeah, I'm so down. So there's that. There's the Dem Gavels investigations where we just cover, um, you know, this week and. The House Dems investigate. Dun, dun. Oh, yeah, we can do a little gavel sound. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like it because it sounds like them gavels. Oh, like yeah, dim, exactly. dim, dim gavels. Yes. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Love dim gavels. Uh-huh. <laughs> dim gavels, though. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't even know what that is, but I do. <laughs> so that makes it good. Um, way back Wednesday, where we look at old clips and see how they've played out. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, quote of the week. Get listeners and patrons to submit quotes um, mm-hmm. and uh, pick one. Uh, good news for a change, uh, which I would do to Morrissey's good times for a change. <laughs> and then we would uh, give you some good news that came out this week. So that's kind of like a nice self-care balance. Oh. Um, Muller Junkies Assemble uh, or Activate, Wonder Twins Activate. That's a <laughs> weekly call to action. Yeah, I like that. Um, Q&A for patrons. And we only do the Q&A midweek since we do interviews now on Sundays. Um Whatever happened to blank? That's some, another one. Oh, like mm-hmm. where are they now? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, self-care departure, like albums we like to relax to or other healthy, healthy distractions. Oh, that's oh. nice. So those are some of the ideas. If I you, love them. And if you have any other ideas, guys, um, email us, hello at Muller She Wrote, or add us on Twitter at, at Muller She I'm like, what is it? At yeah. Muller She Wrote? <laughs> Someone had a really funny one that I don't know if it'll work, but it's just called, how fucked are we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get that question a lot when we do the Q&A. And, Q and, a. and yeah, it's yeah. Always, the answer is always... Fox. 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 
that's how fucked you are. <laughs> and that's just how it always is. And so if you want us to do that every week, that's cool too. But we want this to be for patrons because it's, it is. And uh, so we want you guys to give us input. So again, send us all your information. If you're not a patron, dude, three bucks. Um, Patreon.com slash Militia Wrote. Get it. You also get all kinds of cool gifts. You get the entire archive. You get the newsletter with my show notes. You get the book club episodes plus all the old ones and the future ones. Uh, ad-free episodes. What else? I mean, there's so much stuff. Newsletter. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is. Oh, uh, Fantasy Indictment League. You get mm-hmm. to play the Fantasy Indictment League. Discounts and, to tickets if we ever go do cool shit. Yeah. You get, yeah. When we tour, when we go on tour. Oh, mm-hmm. we should have a live Indictment well, yeah, League tickets. experience. We're like, going to have VIP meet and greet. We could have a draft. I don't know. Yeah. But there's so much stuff that, that you get for three, as little as three bucks a month. So it's totally worth it. I've been told I'm giving away the farm. It's totally fine. <laughs> um, I think you guys are worth it. So. That's it. That's all we have for this week. You guys have any last thoughts? Have a good Sunday. Yeah. Night. Definitely. My birthday's next week. (gasps) Happy early birthday, G. Thanks. Yeah, the next episode comes out on my birthday. That's awesome. Woo. You're going to party hard? No. Party hardy? (laughs) Oh. I'm going to script hard, probably. (laughs) Script hard, bro. You got to do something. Yeah. I might have a nice dinner. I don't know. <laughs> that is something. My birthday shows are all this weekend. So that Oh, I, okay, okay. I don't know what I'm doing next weekend, but, you know. Uh, I'm not old, just so everyone <laughs> realizes. I do realize. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much. Uh, your support's overwhelming. We love you, and uh, keep being badasses. I've been AG. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, 
How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.